So 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we'll eventually get to. We've been doing Advent for a number of years now, and uh, I've never never preached through the themes. Um, kind of always gone different directions, but this year we're going to we're going to tie it to the to the candles. And in thinking about hope and just the concept of hope, um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things that's that's fairly easily understood. Uh, that's one of the reasons why it's in the the name of the church is. Um, we wanted people to be able to drive by and see a sign and easily interpret it, you know, to not have to be a Bible scholar or anything. Else. We don't just see it and kind of know what it is. And, and really, like hope to someone who doesn't know Jesus is, is similar to hope with someone who does know Jesus. You know, it's just this idea that like things are going to get better. That's pretty pretty basic definition of it, you know. We have hope when we think things, there's like some sort of confidence that things are going to get better. And so, you know, something, something happens to you and there's this, there's this question or like, was, you know, is there any hope? And really it depends because um, in, in the world that we live in, uh, hope is typically contingent on some, some, sort of out, some sort of outcome. So you go to the doctor and he comes to you and, or she comes to you and says, uh, I, I have bad news. Uh, it turns out it is cancer. Um, but it's totally treatable, right? There, there, that's hope right there. That situation just became hopeful because here's some bad news, but it's going to get better. It's totally treatable and there's hope into this. Um, it's contingent on that outcome. Whereas if the doctor comes to you and says, you have cancer and there's not a single thing we can do, then that is a hope, hopeless situation. There's no hope in that. That's going to get better. Um, and so for most of the world that we live in, it's contingent on some sort of outcome, uh, something getting better, something going our way, something changing like that. And, um, and in that sense, the, this particular pattern of the world of thinking of, of hope as, as a positive outcome of some sort, um, it tends to, uh, it really just tends to have us always looking forward, you know, it's not, it's not so much, it's, it's something where you're looking down the road and you're looking forward and you're saying, I have hope because this is going to get better in the future. Um, well, Advent offers us kind of a reorientation when it comes to hope. Advent is, is that, that time of, of like the church calendar where, um, where we kind of come up against this this like reminder of, uh, of both our past and our future and how they impact things right now. But we tend to look at, at life as a, as kind of like a, a loop, like, like very cyclical. Um, I, I kept thinking of it in terms of, of like a, like a clock, you know, like we, we go through our year and if a clock, I'm going to try to do it backwards. So that's the way you are looking at it. But like, if we start off the year and it's like, Hey, new, you know, it's January 1st, new year's, all these resolutions and stuff. And then, uh, then comes Mardi Gras and then comes Easter and then school finishes up. And then there's like the summertime. And then it's those couple of months where it's so hot. You wonder like, why do we live here? And then we get that first cool snap and you're like, oh yeah, this is why we live here. And then it gets hot again. Um, and then like uh, uh, Halloween comes and then it cools off a little bit and the leaves start to fall and then it's Thanksgiving and then it's Advent and it's Christmas. And then we get all the way back around and then you just start over again, right? Like our lives just do this big annual 
loop around this clock or this, this, this kind of cyclical thing. And Advent reminds us that our lives are not, are not these like loops where all that's really happening is we're just getting older, but we're kind of going through the same, the same cycles of things year after year after year. Advent reminds us that our lives, instead of being a loop or a clock like that, our, our lives are a timeline. Like our lives are they're constantly headed in a, in a direction. Like your life is a trajectory. It's not a, it's not a loop that you're caught in. It's, it's, it's going somewhere. And where hope comes in, in terms of biblical hope, is that there is always hope present. It doesn't matter if the doctor tells you, hey, we can treat it, or there's nothing we can do. There's still hope in that moment because our life is on a trajectory. And on that trajectory, we, like our hope, we look, we look what is behind us and we look at what is ahead of us. And it isn't contingent on it going our way. Our, our, hope, our hope is built on, on this assurance that things are going to be okay because God said things are going to be okay. And so we're going to explore just for a few minutes this morning exactly what I'm talking about here. And I, I want to kind of use the stage as a bit of a visual timeline. I thought about doing an actual timeline, but then I was like, wait, it's Thanksgiving week. I don't feel like doing that. So uh, just humor me for a little bit. But um, I want to walk you back a little bit. So I'm going to go this way to this way uh, to try and do it from your, from your perspective a little bit. If you go back, we'll put these on the screen. You don't have to t- talk to these. Let's start way back in the beginning. In the beginning of, of the Bible, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, there's no need for hope in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything was great. God made everything. It was good. He made uh, man in his image. That was very good. He, uh, like, didn't want Adam to be alone. He made a helper fit for him. He charged them with uh, caring for the garden and taking care of each other and, and creation. And um, there was no shame. There was nothing to hide. God was with them. They had everything that they needed. And then they became convinced that God was holding out on them. They became convinced that God wasn't really who he says he is. And um, he's actually keeping them suppressed because he knows that if they eat of this one particular tree, that they're going to become just like him. And he, he wants to keep them in their place. And so they rebel against him. They eat of the tree. You may be familiar with the story. Uh, they think they can do better than him. And when they do, uh, when they rebel against him, this, this brokenness uh, enters into the world. And uh, they're, they're broken in how they view God. They're broken in view they have it, view themselves. Broken in how they view each other. Broken in the fact that creation no longer cooperates with them. Um, and so all this brokenness enters. And, and, and God tells them, like, there's going to be a separation now between him and and between God and his, his son and his daughter. Um, and that's just how it's going to be. And, and as he's explaining to them, now here's the, here is what it's going to be like now, now that this brokenness is there. He, he whispers, well, not whispers, I don't, he whispers it in my, in my head because he's talking to a snake and that makes sense to me. I don't know why, because I'm weird. Uh, they become convinced of and get lured into rebelling by this, by like our, our accuser, our enemy, by, by Satan. And so um, he tells Satan something very specific in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. The Lord says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So at first it sounds like he's like, hey, guess what? Um, you're, you know, you're going to have a terrible life, and humans are going to hate you, which is why anyone that likes snakes is weird, right? Most people hate snakes, and that's probably where it comes from. But the, the key right here is verse 15 I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Then it says, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is, this is the first hopeful verse that I could find in the Bible. The very first time we see hope introduced. He tells him, he's going to bruise your head. And some translations say, crush your head. And you're going to bruise his heel. You're going to strike at his heel. So what, is, what does that even mean? Well, there's a, this episode of The Office. Dwight Schrute, paper salesman, has a, is in a car accident, has a concussion. His boss, Michael Scott, uh, burns his foot on a George Foreman grill. Long story. Um, Michael drives Dwight to the doctor to get the concussion checked out, and Michael's looking for some sympathy over his burnt foot. And so he asks the doctor, what's more serious, a head injury or a foot injury? really expecting the doctor to say that they're equal. And the doctor immediately says, head injury. And so if you're wondering where the writers of the office come up with their content, it's right here in Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> a, a head injury is much more significant than bruising of the heel. He is going to crush you. That's what God says. One of the offspring of this woman is going to deliver the death blow and destroy you. And you're going to nip at him and you're going to get his heel um, but th- this is the, like, the first time that hope is introduced into the storyline. So this is where it begins. This is where Adam and Eve, as they're listening, they, in the back of their minds, they have to be thinking, oh, um, this is not all there is. It's, it's going to get better than this. They're dealing with the consequences of what has happened, and here they are, hope is introduced. It's not always going to be that way. Now, a bunch of really, really, really important things happen uh, after that. But we're going to go all the way to Isaiah chapter 9. And through Isaiah the prophet, here's one of the things, one of the messages he brings from God to his people. It says, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the the he that he spoke of in Genesis 3, when he said it's going to get better, comes forward to Isaiah and he's passing this on and he's giving more detail He's describing more about this, this rescuer, about this hope being embodied in a person. He's telling Isaiah and all of his listeners, um, hey, it's, it's going to get better. There is, there is hope for this. It seems hopeless, but there is hope. And not only is he telling Isaiah, but also Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of, all of, of the minor prophets and the major prophets. He begins to speak to his people, constantly assuring them, hey, it's going to get better. There is hope. Remember what I said back then? It's coming. 
And then a bunch of amazing stuff happens, right? But then we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2 on the hillside. These angels appear to a group of shepherds, and this is what they say, verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's telling these shepherds who they've heard about all this other stuff. They would have heard about what Moses wrote in Genesis 3. And they would have heard and known the prophecies from Isaiah and all, and all the other prophets. And now the angel is saying, it's, it's, it's happened today. Everything that you've heard in the past that was leading to this moment, this is the moment. He's here. I want you to go see him. And that's what we'll celebrate in 24 days. But not yet. And so Jesus is born, and all these incredible things happen through his, through his, his life, and then he begins his public ministry, and all these incredible things happen. And there's one point, right before he goes to die for us, in John chapter 14, it says, these, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So he, he's saying, hey, this is great. I mean, I, everything's been leading to me and I'm the one, but I'm going to go. And actually, uh, uh, like God himself is going to come, uh, the helper, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He doesn't go into the details right here, but we see this in, in a minute. But he's like, hey, but it's actually going to get even better than this. Like, I'm with you right now, and that's great. And I'm going to go, and that's going to seem really bad at first, but it's actually going to get so much better so the God who has who promised all these things before, he's going to promise, like, this is going to be incredible. You'll wait and see. And so they take him up on it. They go, and they are, uh, they're, like, he's, he's, they're praying. And in Acts chapter 2, you see this. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And uh, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what, what did he mean that the helper would come? Well, they didn't realize at the time, but that means that God, instead of Jesus being one place at one time, now God was in each of them. And as they begin to share and they begin to witness and they begin to sing, and the next thing you know, the gospel begins, begins to spread because it was at one point it was only for Jewish uh, people, and now it's for everyone, and it spreads all around that part of the world. And as everyone goes back, they're taking it back to their own, their own uh, languages and their own uh, towns and their own customs, and the, the church begins to spread. And um, next thing you know, you have a church in Ephesus and a church in Philippi and a church in Corinth and a church in Rome. And uh, Paul begins to write, train up these elders and, and write them letters, and these churches begin to grow, and the gospel spreads all around the world. And next thing you know, we get to where you get to us today. And so hope, beginning back in Genesis 3, he tells Adam and Eve and the devil, basically, hey, it ain't always going to be this way. Uh, the devil's situation is hopeless, but to Adam and Eve, it's going to get better. And then through the prophets, hey, it's going to get better. And then Jesus comes and he's like, this is great, but it's going to get even better. Then the Holy Spirit comes and said, could it get any better than this? But right here, as these letters are going around... They start to actually look beyond this moment and they begin to look well into the future. So you skip to the other side. 
like in First Thessalonians, they begin to talk about something that's going to happen here. They're talking about it over there, but it's not going to happen until here. This is chapter 4, verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. That's his second advent. He'll descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. On this side over here, they begin to look forward in their timeline. And they said, well, Jesus, he's coming again. He came the first time, he's coming again. And when he comes, you know, it says that we're going to go meet him in, in the air. And, and that's been interpreted a bunch of different ways. But um, back then, when the king would arrive, they would see him a ways off. Everyone in the city, would, they would go line the streets. Kind of like the triumphal entry, we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They would go line the streets to welcome the king. They would go as far out as the people could reach to greet him. And as he came in, they would follow behind him back into the city. And so if Jesus were coming the second time on the interstate, then it would say, you'll gather on the interstate. But it says he's going to descend from heaven. And so somehow, I don't really know what this looks like, but it implies that there's going to be like a, a going up to greet him. But it's not so he can like rapture us away and take us somewhere else. It's actually because he's coming here. And he's coming here to do all the final like consummation of the kingdom of God stuff. He's coming here to make all of this new again. He's coming here to basically say, you know how awesome Genesis 1 and 2 sounded before everything got broken? Well, I'm going to make everything new, so it's, it's like that again, but actually significantly better. And so then they point forward one more, and actually you've already heard it today in part. Revelation 21 it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He'll be my son. And this, you want to know what's beyond this? What's just this forever? You know? It's this forever. And so each stop along the way, he, he has this steady message of hope. In Genesis 3, it's going to get better. Through the prophets, it's going to get better. Even through Jesus, it's going to get better. Even through the Holy Spirit, it's going to get better. 
all of it pointing to the fact that one day he's going to come back. He's going to deal once, like he's going to have that, that final, everything is just the way I want it to be. And we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's, that's what hope is. That's, that's why I say that hope looks backwards and it looks forward is because here we are in this moment right now. And if we're only looking this way and we're ignoring everything that's behind us, it means one, we're, we're missing out on the, this faithful God who has led his people every step of the way. We also are forgetting what he's describing on this side, you know. It's like we're looking forward, but we're looking at like a wall that I can only see past this one circumstance, you know. I only see past this this one obstacle right now. It's like I'm blind to the other stuff. And so what Advent does is Advent, one, takes that blinder away and says, look at all this and look at all this and recognize that your life is not on a loop. Your life is on a trajectory. It is headed somewhere. Don't forget about the second coming of Jesus. And so the church fathers built this into the year. And sometimes I'm like, I wonder why they built that in. And I'm like, oh yeah, how often do I sit around thinking about the second coming? Not that often, right? A lot of people are scared to death to talk about that because it's become, it's become something that was never intended to be. But Paul says, encourage each other with these words. And so at least once a year, we focus on the fact that this, this is the trajectory of our lives. That from the very beginning, God knew what the end was going to look like. And he's weaving this story together. And it is filled with hope that he's constantly saying things are going to get better. Let's look specifically in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. All right, stop right there. It says, according to his great mercy. So, so God has reached into our pain. That's, like, that's what, when we see mercy, we should associate that with with pain and suffering and hurt. He's, he's reached into the hopelessness that we feel. Yes, he's reaching into the, the positive reports from the doctors, of course. But he's reaching into the negative reports as well. He's reaching into the pain and the wounds and the difficulty and just the garbage of this life. He's reaching into that to bring hope and not just any kind of hope. He says, calls it a living hope. That's because our hope is not in a, an outcome. It's not in a doctor's report. It's not in, in how the stock market's doing. It's, it's not in how we dress or how we look. Or, or, you know, it's not in all these kinds of things. Our, our hope is not in these circumstantial things that shift and change and can come and go. Our hope is in a person. And his name is Jesus and he's alive right now. He was alive before that timeline started. He will always be alive. And even when his body was dead, he was still alive. And since he is alive, that means that there is always hope. 
And so he's reaching into your pain with a hope that's alive to, to like remind you that, that this is about more than what you're facing right now. This is not all that life is. Sometimes it feels that way, though, you know. Especially in those crushing days when you're like, what, what, how in the world am I going to get through this? And so that's when he the, is positioned the most to reach in with that mercy and cause us, remember, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like that resurrection moment, it's just like Melissa said earlier, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I, you know, sometimes, but sometimes it's there. Let's just be honest. But it should be gone. And when I'm reminded that he's alive, it certainly does subside. Because I know he holds the future, life's worth the living, right? So the resurrection, it, like that is the, this reminder. Because he is alive, there is hope in everything that we are facing, Because this merciful, compassionate God has reached his hand into our pain and caused us to be born again to a hope that is alive. And it gets better from there. Look at verse 4. All this is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Over here, the trajectory of your life, your landing point for eternity, cannot be defiled, cannot fade, cannot change, cannot be taken, it cannot diminish, it it cannot spoil, it cannot be stolen, it cannot be traded and sold. It is being kept in heaven for you. There's a guarantee about the trajectory of your life. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to fret. You can go through the doubts and worries and the ups and downs of life. You can do all those things and it doesn't change a single thing about what it is keeping for you. That trajectory is set. You didn't earn your way into it. You're not going to earn your way out of it. He's done this for you and for me. In verse 5. All this is for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That God's power is guarding you in in this moment. On this timeline, here you and I are in this moment right here, and you are being guarded. Your faith, your belief that God is taking care of you, he he is like, yep, that's it, I'm guarding you. Guarded by faith. Um, and the salvation to be revealed, that's this, this future thing. So here you are in this moment. And even though we're, we're looking down the timeline and we're, we're hopeful because of the things that he said in the Bible, there's still, there's still an element of faith that it requires to say, I believe that that's going to be true. That's not lost on the Lord. I mean, Jesus came and he lived on the earth. And so uh, he understands like the like minute by minute life that we are in, that we don't know what the next moment holds. He knows what it's like to keep taking steps into the darkness like that. 
So it's not lost on him that as we are processing in this moment, our trust in that future, that he's, he's keeping it, it's going to be revealed. And so all these things, like he's with us in those moments, it's not lost on him. It's very important to him. And then verse six, for in this you rejoice. Talk about that week three on the joy candle. How about that? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Here, here's the, this, this is the hard part, I think. If you've ever entered into Advent and things, you're just in a really good season of life, then that's great. And maybe you're there now and like, that's awesome. But with this many people in, in a room, there's no way that everyone is in a great place. And so, um, Peter is like, hey, I also know that like, rejoicing in this is probably hard for some of you because you're going through various trials. And I love that he doesn't like, list a bunch of examples because that allows us all to find ourselves in there. The truth is, as we are in this part of the timeline, as we are waiting for all this other stuff to happen, um, we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, We're going to go through the worst things that life has to offer us. And some of you, that describes the last year, maybe the last couple of months, or maybe the last week. You know, Some of you, maybe the last few years, but... We're going to go through those things. And we need, and I say we because this has been a hard year for me as well. Um, we, we need to hear what he is saying to us. What God is saying through the verse. Look again at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved with various trials. A little while... I hear that, I'm like, oh, this is going to be like short-lived. Well, some little while means little while, and some means like in the hundred years or less that you're on this earth, compared to eternity, that hundred years is a little while, you know? So you might have to get outside of our own little timeline to understand what he's saying here. That for some, the trial is going to be really short, and for some, it's going to be a, a lifelong thing. But it comes to an end. Like, there comes an end point for the trials that we go through. It may be a couple of weeks or a couple of years. It might be until you breathe your last breath. But it's coming to an end. And you will not carry that forward. And in his presence, like he described a minute ago, he'll be there to wipe away the tears. And those aren't aren't, going to be tears that are are like tears that we shed now. There'll be a different, a different kind of tears. And you're kind of wondering, like, man, did Eric Clapton get it wrong? Like, are, there, are we crying in heaven? Apparently so, because he's going to be able to wipe away the tears. Um, but it will, we will not be crying for the same reasons that we cry today. Probably crying, probably those tears are going to be some happy tears. That's a whole other sermon. But the various trials that we go through, we need to be reminded just like he was reminding everyone over here to Adam and Eve through the prophets to his disciples to the early church it's it's going to be okay 
it's going to get better. You who are in this moment, you're battling uh, financial problems. It's going to get better. You're you're battling uh, emotional like emotional wellness. It's going to get better. Mental health is going to get better. Physical problems. It's going to get better. Relational problems. It's going to get better. Like there's you you bring anything to the table, and you need to know it's going to get better. It may not be in a few weeks. It may it may be a lifelong issue. But when your life is over, you won't carry it forward. But you will be able to look back and see the faithfulness of God to you through it all. That's what Peter is trying to get across. Verse 7. We're grieved by these trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. These trials that we go through, they, they are refining to us. Absolutely. Um, but you know what, what they really do? Is they remind us that it's not supposed to be this way. It's a reminder. Like this, we're in the brokenness. Like he's, he's brought healing through the gospel to us. Absolutely. But, but we're, we're, we're like in this overlap between, um, like between that first coming and that second coming. And so, uh, this is a part of it. But as we go through these trials, a part of what has to come into our minds is that he's coming back. And so there are these, there is this like beauty to the fact that, um, we're reminded it's not supposed to be this way and it won't always be this way. And so we, we like dig into the hope of the gospel that our story doesn't end at this point in the timeline. It's refining. It, it reminds us of like, yeah, uh, this is just, sometimes this is just the brokenness we have, we carry. And you know why we have to go, go through this? Um, a part of it is for our own like maturing and growing and morphing and changing. But that is to, so that others can look at us and say like, how, how in the world are you getting through this? And we say, well, my hope is alive. His name is Jesus. You need to know him. And until all of the nations, like until the gospel has gotten to the whole earth, we're, we're going through this. And so we're, we're going through the various trials, our faith being refined. We're praying, come Lord Jesus. We're doing all those things. But it's because we're waiting for the gospel to get to everybody. You know, it's, that's worth it. So if we have to go through this stuff, Jesus at our side is worth it. And so as we wait for him, it's an informed waiting. Advent reminds us that, hey, we're, we're not waiting here without a purpose. God's not being like this, like he's not a bully. Like he's not forgotten about us. And there are all these like, like ways we want to try to understand what's going on right now. It's an informed waiting. We have this Bible that tells us not only what has happened, but what's going to happen. We have tons of information to work with. Our faith is not blind. Our faith is fully informed as we wait. So does this mean that you, we have to die in order for things to get better? Absolutely not. Don't hear me saying that, that the gospel has no impact on right now because as you walk through those various trials, guess who walks through it with you? I mean, David said, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like your, your, your strength and your faithfulness and your steadiness and your compassion for me, you are with me. And so as I walk through the worst things that life has have to offer, um, I, don't, I don't have to be afraid, but I do have to keep walking. And then he gathers, gathers us as a church to say, you're not, you never walk alone. Jesus walks with you and you walk with a whole bunch of other sheep who all know his voice and you walk together through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes, sometimes hope is a song that's in a major key. You know, major keys are, they're, they're happy and they're bright. And those are the times when you're going through something, but there's hope because Emmanuel, God is with, he God's with us. You're fully aware of that. You can sense his presence. You know his goodness. Everything is amazing. Even though the circumstances are hard, that God is being faithful to you and you, everything, it's just bright. Sometimes hope is that song in that major key. And then sometimes hope is that song in that minor key. Where it's dark and it's lonely sometimes and you feel isolated. And, and instead of Emmanuel, God is with us, you're praying those prayers of Maranatha. Jesus, come quickly. But the major key and the minor key, Emmanuel, Maranatha, whatever, however you want to think of it in those different terms, Hope is always a part of it because Jesus is a part of it. He's there. And sometimes we have to look a little harder to find him, but he is there. And so Advent is a season where we we wake up and we acknowledge the hard stuff in life and we make room for Jesus to walk with us through it. And when that happens, his kingdom has come and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm sure that if we were to put the room into two categories of Emmanuel, God is with me. I'm confident. I have hope. The other category is Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. I'm not sure I can make it. Um, can we lock arms and recognize that hope is, is in all of it? And can we just intermingle together to where the Maranatha group and the, who kind of maybe needs their arms held up, has them held up by the Emmanuel group? You know, Can we go through Advent recognizing that life is really hard and um, let's walk together through the valley of the shadow of death, recognizing that there is living hope in Jesus, and Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so as we begin the Advent season and all that comes with it, um, I hope that this connects somehow with where you are and kind of maybe sets a vision for what the next few weeks will hold. And so as we do each week, we're going to have some time responding to what's going on. Uh, You may need this morning to just spend some time praying um, and asking Jesus to infuse hope into like into your perspective and to see that that, um, that he's right there with you. And so we're going to give you space to do that. If you want to come and kneel on these at the steps down here, if that's helpful to you, that's awesome. We'll have some folks in the front row who would love to pray with you as well, especially if following Jesus is a new thing to you. That's like a whole new concept. Um, we'll have two communion lines. Uh, what a great tangible reminder that God is with you 
than to take the bread and dip it in the juice and literally like consume that, um, that Jesus is offering his life to you. And so you're welcome in our lines, whether you're a member here or not. If you, if you want what Jesus is offering to you, you come take communion. And of course we're going to sing. And so uh, as we have these various responses, whatever you are in relation to um, everything that's been said and sung about this morning, uh, this is your time with the Lord. So let me pray for us. Let's stand together as we enter into this time of response. God, I'm grateful. Um, thankful for those who've gathered together this morning. Thankful for our friends in Zachary as they gather together. And thankful for technology that lets us be connected this morning. Um, I'm sure that uh, this applies and connects differently with all of us. And God, I'm thankful that you're big enough uh, and small enough to meet us in these moments. Small enough to meet us in, as individuals right where we are in our journey and big enough to assure us that you've got it covered. And so help us to break out of the loop in that cyclical thinking or hope that's contingent on some sort of outcome and realize that we've been freed from that cycle and freed in, to live on this trajectory to know that we're headed somewhere and that all this is not, not for nothing. For those who need to be reminded that you're near, I pray that you use these moments and the, and the season of Advent to remind them that light has broken into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Uh, we love you. We thank you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you can come take communion when you're ready. We'll sing together and uh, give some a few minutes of response.